You know, it's, it's my pleasure this morning to be able to carry on our series that we're, we're doing on health. And um, I want to speak to you this morning about staying healthy in hard times. Anybody ever had a hard time? Yeah? Anybody going through a hard time? Anybody expecting a hard time because you know what, something's coming? You know, and we have hard times in relationships, at work in our finances, in our life, in our health. There's so many areas where things can be difficult. And you know, I think we become really interesting people when hard times come. And you know, it can take on many various things. We, we can ignore it and just pretend it's not happening and just carry on and just think, I'll just, yep, whatever, you're not really there. We can run from it. You know, I remember having a broken engagement way before I met Paul. And I had this plan that I was going to go off to the, to the coast of Scotland where Iona was and just become like a monk sort of person and just run away from the whole thing. As you can see, I didn't and I'm still here. And I stuck through it. But I wanted to run away. How often do we want to just run away? Sometimes we just want to hide the shame of everything that's going on and the difficulty of it. We want to hide away. You know, babies are interesting, aren't they? Because they just embody what we are. And you know, when babies do a poo, generally they want to hide. When they can get to the point where they can move, they would like to go and stand behind a settee or behind something because they don't want anyone to see the mess that is going on in their life. Anyone else? <laughs> Sometimes we just compete with other people. Well, my problem's worse than yours. We like to, as they Italian us, oh, that happened to me as well. We become really interesting when we hit hard times. You know, and there is so much stuff out there to try and help you get through difficult times. Harry, if we can put the NHS points up. The NHS give us these points to do if we're struggling in hard times. And they're really helpful points. Things like connecting with people, doing new things, all of those things. If you want it, take a photo of it because it's not staying up there long. But they're great points. They're really helpful. The problem that we have with things like this is when we're having a tough time, we actually don't want to do anything. We don't want to see anyone. We don't want to try anything new. And we want to isolate ourselves. But I believe as a Christian, I believe there's got to be something more. Yes, there are practically helpful things that we can do. And I would encourage you to do these things. They're helpful. But I believe as a Christian that there is something more. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I believe that God wants to meet with you today and say, I can walk with you through this if you will only lean on me and trust in me. This morning, if you're a believer, then let's get some God into those tough times. Psalm 23 verse 4 says this. Even if I walk through a valley as dark as the grave, I will not be afraid of any danger because you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Don't sound right, does it? A valley as dark as the grave, you will not be afraid 
because you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You know, this morning I want to say to you, God is in you. He is with you. He is with you in the walking. He is with you in the hard steps. He's there to encourage you and keep you going. You notice in that it says, even if I walk, it's about keeping going sometimes. It's about keeping going with God. It's about leaning on him. It's about the one who makes it bearable. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. We must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. Hope that tomorrow will be better than today. And the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus of eternal life. You know, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's holiness, God's kindness, God's power, God's authority, God's provision. It is not limited by our circumstances and it is not determined by them. You know, the Bible is full of people who learn how to be healthy in difficult circumstances and situations. And I'm going to attempt to look at five of them today. Hopefully we'll get through them all. If not, I'll shortchange you, so I apologise in advance. But the first thing I want to look at is being inspired through disillusionment. You know, sometimes we can really believe something. We can really hope something. We can keep going and, and trusting for something. Many of you know my mum passed away a couple of years ago. And for five years, she, she battled with cancer. And we believed and we hoped and we prayed and, and we fasted and we did all of those things that you should do. And we believed and we hoped and we prayed and we believed and we hoped and we prayed. And she passed away. Well, that didn't work out how I thought it was going to. Anyone else had one of them moments where that didn't work out how I thought it was going to? That didn't happen how I thought it was going to. And whether it's in relationships, whether it's at work, in our jobs, whether it's in our studies, whether it's in ministry, no matter what it is in, there are moments where we can become completely disillusioned with God and think, why? What, what, what is this about? What was that about? You know, John the Baptist... An amazing, if not eccentric character, was, was sent to pave the way for the Messiah. And he stood in the wilderness and he shouted everything he'd got to shout and he declared the way. And he recognized Jesus and shouted, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew he was the Messiah. He baptized him. He saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove upon him. He heard God from heaven say, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. He saw his own ministry go less and less and less and become more and more insignificant. And Jesus become more and more significant and still he believed until he ended up in jail because of something he'd said about how someone was living the life and whilst in jail I believe he became disillusioned because he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question Luke 7 20 to 23 when the men that's John's disciples came to Jesus they said 
John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What a strange question from the man who declares, behold the Lamb of God who baptizes him, who hears God speak over him, this is my beloved son. It doesn't add up. The only answer is John was disillusioned. He carries on. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Let me say this again. God's goodness... God's mercy, God's holiness, God's kindness, God's power, God's authority, God's provision is not limited to our circumstance and it is not determined by them. Jesus sent those men back saying, look at what is happening. John, remember who I am. John, remember who you are. And we have to ask ourselves when we become disillusioned with God because of our circumstances, because of stuff that goes on, because of hard times, we have to ask ourselves, what do I really believe? Do I really believe that God is God despite it all? Or do I only believe in a God when things are going my way and when I'm happy and when things are good? This is about your theology. If your theology says God is God when everything's great... It's wrong theology. God is God is God, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the hard times, regardless of the mess, regardless of the pain. God is God and he is good. He is faithful. He is kind. He loves you regardless of your circumstances. When you become disillusioned, Go back to what you believe. Go back to the bigger picture of who Jesus is. Remind yourself of all that he has done. So be inspired because of the goodness of God when you're disillusioned. That's number one. You ready for another one? Number two, keep believing for unfulfilled promises. Anyone got any of them? Unfulfilled promises, believing for a healing. I believe in for six years that God will heal my ear. I'm still believing. At the moment, it's unfulfilled. Anyone else got any? Maybe you're believing for a salvation in your family. Maybe you're believing for a breakthrough. Maybe you're believing for ministry. Maybe you're believing for a job, whatever you believe. Maybe you're believing for a child. Believing for a husband or wife. It's not all it's cut out to be. Whatever it is, whatever you're believing for, whatever that unfulfilled promise, instead of getting cross, let's be honest, instead of getting angry with God, instead of backing down from our relationship with God and thinking, oh, I didn't fulfill my promises, instead of abandoning God because you feel abandoned, God wants you to keep believing for those unfulfilled promises. Let's look at Abraham. Abraham, it's 70 years old. 
Anyone 70 in here this morning? Come on. Be proud. Abraham was 70. He got called by God. 70 years old, he got called out of Ur. And he stopped in Haran. At 75, God reminded him, come on. He endured barrenness. He endured a famine. He endured fear for his life. And seven times, seven times, God promised him. Genesis 12, 7. God promised him land. To your offspring, I will give this land. Promise number one. Promise number two. More of the same. Genesis 13, 15. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Can I just remind you, Abraham and Sarah have got no children. They are barren. They are in their 70s. They have no children. They're not expecting any children. And yet God is promising them offspring and land. Genesis 15, 5. Again, a promise of a descendant. So shall your offspring be. He's getting a bit tired now, isn't it? Genesis 17, 2. God talks about increasing them as a father and mother of nations. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will increase your numbers. Same again. That promise keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And yet in the natural, in the physical, there is no evidence whatsoever of any fulfillment. Genesis 18, 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And still there is no baby. Genesis 17, 17 and Genesis 18, 12. This is where it gets interesting. This is where we learn the lesson of what to do when there's unfulfilled promise. We see Abraham in Genesis 17 when God tells him he's going to have a child. And Abraham, Abraham fell face down. He laughed. And then we see Sarah in Genesis 18, 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. Now, if you look at the bigger account of the story, God actually challenges when Sarah laughs, but not when Abraham laughs. Why? Why? Let's look at it. Because Abraham fell face down and laughed. Abraham is laughing, I believe, with a joy and expectation that God is going to fulfill his promise. Sarah, on the other hand, is laughing like this. (laughs) Yeah, right. Ever done one of them laughs? Ever read the Bible and done one of them laughs? Ever heard someone prophesy over you and done one of them laughs? Because you think, yeah, yeah, not really. There is a difference between laughing with joy and belief and laughing with cynicism and unbelief. And that was the difference between Abraham and Sarah when they laughed about their unfulfilled promise. Abraham laughed in faith and Sarah laughed in ridicule. Genesis twenty-two seventeen again. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And still there is no child. Abraham was 100 years old. So the promises started at 70. He was 100 years old when Sarah gave birth. 
30 years, he worked his way through an unfulfilled promise. For 30 years, he believed and he hoped. For 30 years, he had faith. 100 years old. Abraham never saw the great nation that God promised him. He never saw the ownership of all the lands that God promised him. But for the joy that God set before him, he believed and God counted it to him as faith. You know, sometimes we have to wrestle with God for the promises that we believe he's telling us are going to happen, but we don't say. And the choice we have is, are we going to laugh with joy or are we going to laugh in unbelief? Can I encourage you this morning? Keep going to God with your wrestling. Keep going to God with your disappointment. Keep going to God with your unbelief and allow him to teach you obedience and to fill you with the joy of trusting in him. Keep believing for unfulfilled promises. Next one. And I think this is something that so many of us can struggle with and can cause us to live really unhealthy lives. Steadying roller coaster living. Now, roller coaster living, I believe, happens in two different ways. One of the ways is like this Oh, I'm having a really good day. Oh, I'm having a really bad day. Oh, I'm having a really good day. Oh, I'm having a really bad day. Oh, I'm having a really good moment. Oh, I've just got an email or text message and I really don't like it, so I'm having a really bad day. That's how it can affect some of us, yes? Anyone? I'm one of them. Then you get these people. And I believe it's the same thing. They are people who in a crisis are absolutely full of adrenaline. I could deal with any crisis. I'm great in a crisis. I'm great in a crisis. Crisis is finished and they go. I don't know if I can get back up again now after that. But there you go. There are people who go all out in a crisis and are great. But when it stops, they fall apart. That's what I like. That's what you are, isn't it? <laughs> Praise the Lord. This is what Elijah was like, I believe. But if you are more like me, where you're like, I'm having a good day, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a good moment, I'm having a bad moment, this is for you too. Elijah, though, was brilliant in a crisis. He had an amazing victory over the prophets of Baal. If you don't know the story, please go back and look at it. But there was all these false prophets. They were saying, God's not God. And he was like, no, God is God. And he set this whole thing on fire, not by himself, but by calling it down from heaven. And then he killed all the prophets of Baal. At this point, I'd be like, oh, I'm having a really bad day. But if it was Paul, he'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Elijah was like that. He was great in a crisis. But then one person says something to him after his victory, and he's in the floor. Listen. 1 Kings 19. This is after this, after this amazing victory, Jezebel sends this one message. I'm not happy with what you've done. I'm going to kill you. And Elijah, the guy who's just killed all these prophets, the guy who's just called fire down from heaven, is going to go and run away because one woman has said she's not very happy with him. Here we go. 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. 
When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Anyone ever prayed that prayer? I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And then God comes and meets with him. He feeds him. He takes him on this huge, massive journey. And then he finds himself in the rocks where, where God meets with him in this place. But we find that his life is just up and down, up and down, just because of one thing somebody has said. Be careful what you say to people. Be careful of your words. They have may, maybe have so much more power than you realize. You know, we manage the highs and the lows of life in different ways. Again, we run away. We stop going to church. Stop going to small group. Stop meeting with our friends. You know, Elijah, he moaned, he complained, he was angry at God. I've done all this for you, God, and this is how you repay me. And God meets him in this place. And it says in the scripture that an earthquake comes and a fire comes. Now let's remember, Elijah's great in a crisis. So if an earthquake and a fire come, Elijah is the man to have around. But God isn't in those things. God isn't in where his adrenaline kicks in. Then it says, a still, small voice. Elijah had to learn that in that quiet place, after the victory, after the battle, that place where reality comes, that place where you look back and think, did I do everything right actually? And you pick fault at yourself. That is the place where God is. The healthiest thing you can do is bring God into every single situation, in the high and in the low. The healthiest thing you can do is learn to hear that still, small voice. When all rages, when all is quiet, find Jesus and let him meet you there. And suddenly that roller coaster living will become smooth sailing through those tough times. Next one, overcoming the overwhelming. You ever have one of them days where everything just comes at once? Your car breaks down, you get a call from the school, the kids need picking up, they've had a nosebleed, whatever's going on. Something's gone on at work and you've got to be there and you've got to sort something out. Your washing machine's broke, you get a call from your elderly relative and they need you to go and do something that's really small and then you've got to do something else and then your jeans rip and then your shoe breaks and then everything happens and it's just all going on. Anyone had one of them days? They're really annoying, aren't they? But there are seasons in our lives that can feel like that too. There are seasons in our lives that can feel completely overwhelming, like it comes like a flood and it just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. You know, I remember about 10 years ago, 
my nan had just passed away. Our eldest daughter, Grace, had to have major surgery at Birmingham Children's Hospital. We'd just taken on the church. There was loads of stuff going on, and it just felt completely overwhelming. And I look at the life of Job, and I think I've got nothing on him. (laughs) For those of you who don't know who Job is in the Bible, he basically got bombarded. His children died, he lost all his livestock, he lost his buildings, everything went on. And then he lost his health and he was ill. To the point where his wife said, well, you just curse God and die. Some good advice there, isn't it? That's how bad it was in their house. That's how, that's how overwhelming it was in their house. In Job 3.26, this is what Job says, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. I think we can all have moments where we feel like that. And you know, as Christians, I think sometimes we think we shouldn't feel like that. No, I should be all right. I'm a Christian. I should have faith. Do you know what? It's okay. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. It's okay to feel like it's too much. It's okay. You know, I really believe that if we can learn from Job, it can change how we live our lives. How do we manage when everything comes at once? And I think sometimes we think we've, we've got to, I've got to be bigger than this. I've got, to, I've got to pick myself up. I've got to keep going. I've got to, I've got to manage. And we do all of these things. We try, I've got to overcome as a Christian. I need to overcome this. God is with me. I can take on anything. And yet we feel just completely overwhelmed it's too heavy it's too much it is breaking the back of me so what do we do I believe there's something different that we do in this season I believe we have to grow in him because when there's more love when there's more power when there's more of Jesus in our lives then suddenly he becomes so high, so wide, so deep within us that nothing can get above or beyond him as who we are. It's not about us picking ourselves up and going. It's about hiding in him who is bigger, who is wider, who is higher, who is stronger. Because when the thing that is overwhelming you is not big enough to overwhelm him, then we can keep going. You can't overwhelm God who is bigger than any difficulty that you face. And Job learnt this through all of his trials, through all of the friends who came to say they were helping him, whether they were or they're not is another matter. Job learnt this because in Job 42 it says this, My eyes, sorry, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
There was a new depth of relationship with God. There was a new depth of understanding who he was in and through the difficulty. There was something new and fresh that Job had never known before. And I will say it again. God's goodness, God's mercy, God's holiness, God's kindness, God's power, God's authority, God's provision is not limited to our circumstances or determined by them. God is still God. God is still love. God is still bigger. But it's about seeing that for ourselves. It's not about what we hear and what other people say, but it's about who we see in and through our circumstances. I'm going to try really hard to get the last one in. Are you ready for it? Last one, combating the urge to run. Have we got any runners in the room? I don't mean people who like running. I mean people who, when something kicks off, you're the one who first out the room. Moses was a runner. (laughs) Moses had a problem. The problem was he'd been raised up in the house of the Egyptians. He was a son of Egypt. And yet, really, he was an Israelite, and the Israelites were in slavery. So, you know, trying to be a person of faith, trying to stand up for his own people... He goes into fight mode, not flight mode. And he kills someone who was hurting an Israelite. But because then he gets himself into a load of trouble and Pharaoh's not very happy with him, he does what he does best and he legs it. He leaves Egypt, he goes into the desert and there he stays for a very, very long time. Exodus 3, 11 says this. When God comes to Moses and calls him back to Egypt... The man who had ran, the man who had ran away from his problems. This is his reply to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He tried it once. He tried to help once. He tried to deal with the problem once. He tried and it had all gone wrong and it had all gone belly up. And so he did what he did best and he left. He ran away. He thought, I'm no use. I can't fix this. I can't help this situation. I'm never going to see breakthrough. I'm never going to see victory. I'm never going to see release. So I'm just going to run away and hide. I'm going to just sit in the desert and have a nice time and look after my little sheep. And yet God was not finished. So when you find yourself running away from a situation, when you find yourself hiding away from a situation, I believe we need to learn what Moses learned. Not that I've tried before. Not that, Sarah, you don't understand, I just can't beat this. Sarah, you don't understand, it's just too big. Sarah, you don't understand, you don't know what I did. You don't know how hard it is to go back to that place. Running away from a problem only increases the distance from the solution. Ultimately, Moses had to return to the problem. The problem being the Israelites enslaved. And how did he do it? He saw God differently. He didn't try and do it in his own strength, but he realized that in and through God, all things were possible. He faced his fears. He learned to trust in something and hope in something that was beyond him. And as he did that, he was able to go back to that place of failure and see victory come about. You know, when you get the urge to run, can he encourage you? 
stay put. When you get the urge to run, can he encourage you? There is a God who can help you to break through when you don't know how to help yourself. When you get that urge to run, can he encourage you? That God wants to set you free and set those free around you. If you will only lean on him and trust in him and look at the situation differently. You know, I really believe this morning, whichever of those... Whichever those people from the Bible most fits you, whichever those you most resonate with, and maybe it's all of them at times, I really believe that seasons of suffering are not wasted. That loss, abandonment, grief, fear, disappointment, depression, it's not wasted. God is working in it for good. Psalm 34 verse 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This morning you may feel brokenhearted. This morning you may feel crushed in spirit. This morning you may have gone through seasons of that before and never really dealt with it but just kept going. God wants to meet you in this place. He wants to heal you and restore you and set you free. And he wants to put a fire in your belly that can help you to keep going, that can enable you to move on with him. As we close this morning, I just want to say these few things to you. God is close. God is close. God cares. He cares about your difficult day. He cares about your hard time. And this morning I believe that we need a joy giver, that we need a hope bringer, that we need a healer and a restorer and a friend to help us and be with us in our tough times. This morning I believe that God wants you to look beyond with hope. Believing the earth will echo with what heaven says, those promises that they will come to pass, those difficult days that they will be gone, that God is with you and he is for you. When you're disappointed and disillusioned that God wants to bring hope and life to you again. I'm gonna ask you to stand and I wanna pray. You know, we're going to sing in a minute that I don't believe the darkness will last very long. And as we sing it, I want you to sing it as a declaration over circumstances and situations that you may find yourself in. Believing and hoping beyond hope at times that God will cause a breakthrough, that God will cause faith to arise in you, that God will release you from the things that cause you to run away from Him. God, I thank you this morning that you are with us. I thank you this morning that despite all the difficult things that can happen in life at times, that you are good and you are faithful. I thank you, Father God, this morning that you are the light of the world. I thank you, Father God, this morning that you bring light into our darkness. You bring hope into our hopelessness. You bring faith into our unbelief. 
God, I pray this morning that there would be a laughter out of joy, not out of unbelief in this place, that we would see those miracles come about. Father God, we just speak your light and your life into situations. God, we speak breakthrough into situations. God, I pray that where people are struggling and having a tough time, Father God, that you would meet with them right now where they're at and they would see the miraculous work of your power in their lives. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. God, we're believing for breakthrough. God, we're believing for healthy people in tough times. God, we speak your life and your love into situations. More of you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe your life. Breathe your goodness. Breathe all that you are, God. God, we thank you that your goodness and mercy, your holiness, your kindness, your power, your authority and your provision is not limited by our circumstances. It is not determined by them. But God, it is there and it is available to us today. The God of more than enough. Will you be enough for us today? God, we thank you that the darkness doesn't last long. We thank you that you breathe and shine your life in and through us. God, give us faith and give us hope in Jesus' name. Amen.